Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. My guest today is Chris Boss with Boss Law. And today we're going to be speaking about resources that you can tap into if you may be struggling financially due to COVID-19. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Appreciate it. I wanted to um, speak to you because I heard you talking uh, on a Facebook Live about things that realtors could do. And I know that this information goes beyond, far beyond realtors and will, you know, affect a lot of people. So, um, and I know you're well-versed in small business loans. So wanted to get this information out to a lot of people. Sure. So for people who um, may be struggling financially, there was the payment protection program that was passed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, there's kind of two categories of that, right? So if you are a business um, and, and with employees, and then if you are a independent contractor, um, the, the, the business component of it basically looks at your payroll for, for 2019 with some other contributions like health insurance and stuff like that. And and so you take that that number, whatever that gross number was for 2019, divide it by 12 and multiply that by two and a half. And, and that is a forgivable loan uh, from the SBA. And I'm sorry, let me turn this off. Uh, the, uh, it's a forgivable loan from the SBA. Um, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say controversy about it right now, but there's a lot of frustration certainly with it right now because Congress uh, under the CARES Act funded 300 billion and it was gone like that, right? And so um, there's a lot of people that have applied through their bank, which, which for what's called the PPP loan, you must apply through your bank uh, and a lot of banks are no longer taking applications and probably stuff we'll talk about, but, but, um, 
there are millions of applicants that are waiting kind of in the queue, if you will, uh, for the next round of funding, which Congress did just approve in the last few days. Um, one concern though is, is that, that that money is already kind of spoken for. So we're not, no one's really sure how far it's gonna go. Um, so the real question, and we talked about this, you know, this a little bit yesterday is, is there gonna be enough for the existing applicants that have, have been in line and then are they, is Congress going to fund a third round of, of what, what they call a tranche of, of funding? And who knows, you know, with, with politics today. But, um, but it, it's an amazing loan. I mean, it, it's really, uh, if, if, if anyone's ever dealt with the SBA, the concept of a forgivable loan uh, is, is from coming from the SBA is like unheard of. So uh so i mean every business owner or independent contractor in america should apply i mean there's there's few reasons why you wouldn't so right now it's it's not too late though there's no guarantee that the funds will be there well there's all these kind of like intangible parts you know like um, a number of banks are no longer taking applications mm -hmm. you know and so uh, the major banks are not, it, and, and th this, because you have to apply through your bank, this is process and this program has been pretty taxing on bank resources. Uh, and so banks had to divert existing staff and, and technology to these loans and, and it takes away from the daily operations for the bank. And so, uh, and, and to be honest, a lot of banks don't want the liability of taking on these applications if Congress doesn't keep funding money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so imagine that you're, you've applied to your bank, you know, the bank's kind of the whipping post, if you will, and, and you're frustrated because you're not getting any money, but it, it doesn't have a lot to do with the bank. The bank can't give money if it's not there. And, and so many banks, uh, in fact, the majority of banks have stopped taking applications uh, because of this uncertainty. And if you find a bank that is taking applications, but you don't yet bank there, you have to be on board for a certain period of time? Great question, yeah. So you must have an account open at the bank for at least 48 hours before you can apply. And, and nearly every bank has what they call a portal where you apply online through the bank's website. Okay, so that's one program. There were also some changes to unemployment um, where the federal government is adding on top of the state's uh, weekly cap? Right. So, so let's just use Florida since we live here. So Florida, uh, as a state, you can generally get up to $275 a week in unemployment. And then it's called a kicker. And the federal government said, well, we'll put $600 on top of that, right? And so the, the, if you, the general thought is, is if you've been impacted and are, are making less money, then you could likely qualify for, uh, 
for the, the $600. Now, you may not qualify for the 275 or you may only qualify for a portion of the 275, but the, the $600 is, is really truly a stimulus. Um, and, and now it, the interesting part is, is that the PPP is designed to keep people employed. Right. So the, the way that you get your PPP loan forgiven is that over the next eight weeks after you receive the PPP loan, you must use at least 75% of it to pay your employees and you must retain 90% of your employees. And so the PPP is designed to keep folks off of the unemployment. Um, and so uh, to, to that effect, if, you're, if your company is receiving PPP funds, you know, if, if we're not back to normal then, and that runs out and you're furloughed or whatever, then uh, you know, I, I, I think most in, and a lot of the audience is, is often realtors. You know, so independent contractors do qualify for the, the, uh, the $600 stimulus. You probably won't get much of the Florida part because you weren't necessarily contributing to it, mm-hmm. but uh, the $600 is still there and available for independent contractors. Okay. And one of the questions that I had, um, I put a, a Facebook post out for people to submit questions if they wanted information. Um, so someone is an independent contractor and they're still working but their income has been drastically um, decreased. So they are still eligible to apply for unemployment? Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to be completely unemployed. You can have, you can be underemployed or have a diminished income. They didn't, there's not really like a a guideline like the stimulus check that we've talked about where if, if there's a, like a threshold of either you do or do not make X amount of money for the unemployment that they haven't really said, if you are still making X, then you don't qualify. It's mainly more that you've been impacted by COVID-19. Your income has been reduced or greatly reduced or, or zeroed out. And, and I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're in the real estate business as well. So we're watching the, all the data and, you know, I think everybody's doing okay still because of, of deals in the pipeline that were maybe pre-existed COVID-19. But on the horizon, I think everybody's seeing uh, a, a reduction of transactions. And, you know, so it, it you may not, it, it, Well, the other part is, is there's a whole lot of people applying, right? I mean, we're getting up on 30 million unemployed. So, you know, so one kind of thought is get in line, you know, and and for the stimulus, for example, uh, I mean, there's 150 people, 150 million people eligible for that. You know, so, I, I mean, just the sheer volume whether it's at the Florida level applying for unemployment, whether it's at the PPP level for the SBA loans, or, or whether it's at the stimulus level for those you know, $1,200 checks, it, it's just this in, in just unimaginable volume. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and, and so now, you know, talking about the banks again, right? Like, like can you imagine if, if 
you're one of the big four banks, if you're a Wells Fargo or Bank of America, I mean, in your first day, you had several million applications. You know, Chase Bank's system crashed wow. just from a sheer volume. Yeah, so, so I think the, the nature of everybody is, is to think on an individual level but my advice would be think of it on this volume level and think of it as like a really long line at Disney World, right? <laughs> like get in line because it's this process. And, and so for a lot of realtors, I would say, you know, apply anyway. What are they going to say? No. And, and really, you might still be doing okay now, uh, but that might be because you're living on the hopper that was already loaded. The real question is what's coming in today because that's what pays you tomorrow, right? Right. And our, our audience goes beyond realtors. It's also homeowners and people who are looking to buy or sell. So, and, and in particular, a lot of people who are relocating to Florida. So um, we talked about the, the payment protection program and unemployment. What about the EIDL? So the EIDL is, is another great question. It's a, it is a true loan. It has to be repaid, um, but uh, you know, it's unsecured mostly. Uh, and up to $200,000, there's no personal guarantee. The, the, the SBA has been a little bit dodgy about the criteria for it. Um, but anybody can apply for it, uh, uh, an independent contractor, an individual, uh, or a business. And, and from a business level, it's probably the most clear is that they, the EIDL, the SBA looks at sort of a rolling 12 months uh, of, uh, you know, the PPP looked at 2019. Mm -hmm. The thought is uh, in the guidelines that really the EIDL is looking from like February, 2019 to like March 1st, 2020. And take that, that gross revenue for the entire year if you're a business uh, and divide it by 12. And then the, the thought is that they will lend you three or four months worth of revenue. Um, but phenomenal. I mean, again, if, if you have any knowledge of the SBA, the SBA is a very conservative lender and they like a lot of collateral. They like a lot of personal guarantees. You know, they, they, so to have a, a mostly unsecured loan that may not even have a personal guarantee, uh, but the term is paid over 30 years at 3.75%, give or take. I mean, I, there's a lot of folks that are applying for it, whether they need it or not, just because it's, it's such crazy cheap money. I mean, most, most commercial loans are paid back, you know, in 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so to have a fixed rate 3.75 for 30, um, there's, there's a number of businesses that have applied that don't necessarily need it, but it's just very cheap capital. And it's 2.75 if you operate a nonprofit? Correct. Yep. And we talk about the unprecedented nature of, you know, these, this money that is available. And that extends also to 
um, some of the rights that have been extended to homeowners who may be struggling to make their mortgage payment in terms of the forbearance that they're able to apply or request? A, a, another great question. So under the CARES Act uh, that passed a few weeks ago, Congress basically gave a right to consumers that if you have a federally backed mortgage that you can get a deferment or a forbearance for up to a year. And it's not an application, that's a right. And which is crazy, right? When you say it is my right, you know, that you, in theory, you cannot be denied that, right? So, you know, so your credit be impacted negatively, correct? Well, so that's uh, kind of. And so are you going to have late payments? No. Is it going to show the, 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 generally speaking, it'll just show is like no data. So it's not going to show that you made the payment, but it's not going to show that you were late. So a lot of times the bureaus deal with that on what's called a no data. Um, and so it doesn't hurt you. It's not going to impact your credit score. But if you want to borrow money in the future, particularly for real estate, it's going to be a real problem, right? So and you've, you've been doing this a long time. You know how underwriting is. Yeah. Underwriting wants to see regular monthly payments. And a lot of times underwriting wants to see either rent or mortgage payments made every month for the prior 12 months. So what is going to show on credit is it's going to show as a forbearance and it's going to show that you didn't make the payment. But again, that's not a negative term. It's kind of like a neutral term. And so making a payment's positive, not making a payment is derogatory. Being in forbearance is neutral. So not going to hurt your credit and it probably wouldn't affect you getting a car or a credit card but it's gonna knock you out from getting a mortgage. Uh, so if, if you have aspirations of buying with financing in the next year, you, you've gotta make your payment. Um, and, and, you know, and, and that's a unique situation, but I think you know, a lot of folks need to think about it um, because you know, let's face it, there's, there's some, some folks that are going to ride this out and be okay and, and maybe be looking to acquire, uh, if, if particularly if there's good deals on real estate. And if they elected to do that forbearance, they're, they're going to have a real challenge getting financing. Right. And typically with a forbearance, let's say you have a forbearance of 180 days, six months. In month seven, you're expected to make seven months worth of payments. And so for people who think that it's just going to be added on to the end of the loan, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Uh, well, that part has In reality. Been, it probably will, but right. not necessarily. Right. Right. And, and uh, I mean, let's face it. If, if you're having trouble today, what's the likelihood that writing a check for six months worth of mortgage payments is going to be feasible? You know, and, and the government knows that. I, I think we, the government was in such a mad dash to get stimulus and relief out that the back end part, six months from now, they didn't get that far, you know, but 
but they also didn't define it. So, so it, it doesn't say you must pay it back, it, but it doesn't say that it's going to be rolled from a forbearance, which is a legal term, into a modification, which is that famous put the payments on the back of the loan kind of thing. And so I, all talking heads and servicers are saying, look, we're going to face imminent default on a, on a really large level if we don't go with the modification route where the six months of payments are put on the end of the loan and, and you just start making your regular monthly payment versus saying, I need a one-time lump sum check of the last six months of your principal interest taxes and insurance. And so I, 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 I mean, again, I can't promise anything and nobody can, but, but logic says that they're, that it's going to go the, and again, these are federally backed mortgages. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they're going to go the route of the modification because if they don't, they're going to have a ton of default. Yeah. What about renters? Do they have any protection or if they're not able to make their um, rent payments? Well, that's a state thing. And uh, in Florida, Governor DeSantis has given a little bit of relief, but not a lot. Um, and so what DeSantis has basically said is in a, a, an order is that you can't be evicted, meaning rid of possession uh, for 60 days from a few weeks ago. So could you be evicted for the next 45 days? No. After that, I would venture to say yes. Uh, and mainly because landlords are in a tough spot. You know, landlords have a, a lot of, landlords are just individuals like you and me. They have mortgages themselves and they just don't have the wherewithal to float properties and not receive rent. Um, now, I think what you're gonna see is, is and we, we talked about this before, and, in 2008, 2010, you know, the courts were, were pretty sympathetic in, in evictions. And so evictions took longer than usual. Um, so I think, I, I mean, my advice would be, you know, if you don't pay rent, you're going to get evicted sooner than later is how it's shaping up. Um, now, if, if you just, there's nothing that you can do I think the, the and, and it looks like there's a good number of people in this situation across the country, at least in Florida, it looks like, you know, you're probably looking at two, three, four months before you could be evicted. Okay. So if you have money, but you're, you know, trying to play any, meeny, miny, mo with your bills, are creditors um, relaxing or giving payment plans if you're not able to pay all at once? Uh, yeah. And so, uh, I mean, pretty much every creditor is, is offering something, but it's a creditor by creditor uh, analysis, you know? And so the creditors learned a long time ago not to create a fixed plan because it actually promotes everybody applying for it. Right. And so, they, the almost every creditor, like credit cards and auto lenders, 
will do it at, on, on sort of an individual level. Like, and so they, they very well will look at your financials, you know, your, your pay stubs, your bank statements and make an assessment. But most of them are offering 90 to 180 days of deferment, which, which means again, you're, you're going to have to catch up those payments, mm -hmm. but excuse me, they're not going to hit you with late fees and penalties. Um, you know, and some are even waiving interest. Uh, you know, most are still keeping the interest or maybe lowering the interest, but, um, but almost every credit card and auto lender is, is offering something. The, the rule of thumb, whether it's your mortgage or is you just have to call the company, you know? And so if you make your, if you make your mortgage payment to Wells Fargo, you have to call Wells Fargo and apply. The, the biggest thing on the mortgage part again is, is who owns your loan. If it's owned by something federally backed, then you, you're entitled to that 180 days and then you can get a second 180 days. Everything else that's, that's not federally backed is literally up to the lender. Uh, Would you recommend getting um, that discussion or agreement in writing after speaking with the creditor? Um, yes, uh, the, the federal stuff, the federally backed stuff is, is, is boilerplate, um, but the, the, anything that's on a case-by-case -case basis, absolutely, because most of these creditors are, are again, offering no credit damage, mm -hmm. you know, so they're not gonna report it as 30, 60, 90 days late. And I think there's gonna be a lot of mistakes there. I think that a lot of people are gonna suffer credit damage and having anything in writing when you, when you go to like dispute a credit report or something like that is, is key in, in getting the credit bureaus to fix your credit. Um, but you see this actually a lot in like hurricane areas and in California, the fires and a lot of these programs are the same as what are called FEMA programs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so FEMA declares it a disaster area and, and then all the creditors unroll their FEMA programs. Well, after Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Harvey, there's a, an incredible amount of credit damage uh, that, that comes out that's a mistake, you know, because the, the credit reporting is all automated. And if, if you enrolled in one of these FEMA programs, that doesn't always translate to the credit bureaus. So even though you're on this deferment and shouldn't be penalized, you still get penalized because it's all automated. And I think, and, and this is kind of amazing. This came out yesterday. Um, the government website, annualcreditreport.com, uh, that offers usually a free annual report for the, the three major bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian, is now offering it weekly, oh, which wow. is amazing, right? So, so all these paid for subscriptions and stuff, at least for the time being, you don't really need it because you can pull a true report weekly. And I'll, I'll email you after this, the, the website, and I, everybody should be doing it because the credit, the, the credit stuff's gonna be a complete melee. 
That would be great. Yeah, we'll include that in the show notes um, because I know I've been a victim of um, in erroneous information on my credit report that wasn't even for me. It was for another person that lived in a different state. And, you know, it's like, how on earth did that wind up on my credit report? Uh, and on the law side, you know, we do the, the title insurance stuff and the real estate transactions, but on the law side, what a, a, a big part of our practice is suing the credit bureaus. Uh, and we do that all on contingency, but the, the stories that we can tell about like what you have is what's called a mixed file. Um, but when you have these curveballs, and this is a national curveball, automated systems just are not set up for that. So, so I would beg your audience and, and all consumers, look at your credit report because you know, the, the federal data is one in five people has an erroneous error on, on their report that will, will hurt them. In times like this, I mean, I would say it's probably twice that, you know, and, and the system just is not built for this on, on a credit standpoint. Yeah. Well, yeah, we will definitely highlight that information because for, I, it took me almost a year to get everything situated. And I, this person had a $50,000 judgment and, you know, it, it was. <laughs> Where were you? That's an amazing case. Where were you? <laughs> I was in Wisconsin at the time. Uh, you got to call us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, at the time, I had no idea what to do. I was moving and thankfully I was moving to a place uh, in a building I had already lived. So I already had rent history and otherwise I don't know what I would have done because, you know, I was in my early twenties working with the brewers and um, didn't have a whole lot of time to get everything situated because the season was starting. But yeah, thankfully we were able to work through that. Well, if you'd ever have me back, I could do a whole other show on that, that whole part of our practice. But believe it or not, I mean, that's a, 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 a very valuable case against, uh, that really is usually a credit bureau mistake. And mm -hmm. so, um, but on, probably for another show, I, <laughs> I could go on and on about that, but. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll have to do that for sure. Um, so I'm going to end with a few questions, and some of these are, are very specific, um, but hopefully we can get the information to the people that are asking. First one is, when can I expect to receive my stimulus check? So the stimulus is kind of automated out of the, out of the IRS's information that they have on you already and there are income qualifications you know so so in short if you're a household uh if you had household income of less than about two hundred thousand dollars you should just receive it through direct deposit now again they're processing 150 million people you know and so now if if your income so a couple caveats to that uh, your, if your income is below that now you can apply and there's a tool that I can send you as well to apply and also update information. There's, there's the, 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 the outliers for this program are non-filers, right? People that don't have right, to file Social security or... Right, and yeah. so, I mean, 
I, they say that should be accommodated, but like you're kind of not in the system. So, you know, I, I, I can't, I, if I was a non-piler, I would be reaching out. Um, okay. Also, if, if my income had changed drastically from 2018, 2019, I, I would still reach out and, and sort of apply for it. Again, you know, I think people think that this is a very rigid, uh, that all these programs are very rigid, but, but they were all created so quickly that, you know, the rules aren't, aren't, aren't absolute. So like anything, you know, ask and you very well may receive, you know, but what's the worst case you're, you're told no. Right. Um, so another question, I haven't yet filed my 2018 tax return. Will I still get a stimulus check? Again, you're kind of like not in the system a little bit, right? So they don't have those numbers, those absolute numbers, like you made less than X amount of money. So that would, would I, I, I would reach out uh, through that, through the portal uh, is what it's called. Okay. Um, I haven't yet filed my 2019 tax return. How do I calculate my income when applying for the PPP or EIDL loans? So that's okay. They don't need returns. Uh, the PPP and EIDL can use uh, like a profit and loss, which whether that's on a business level or a personal level, but keep in mind the PPP loan is based on payroll. Right. You know, and so if you're an independent contractor, for example, um, you know, that, that, it's what you're going to pay in self-employment and and a lot of people do that kind of at the end of the year right they 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 if you're an independent contractor or, and i know your 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 audience is is broader but realtors are always a great example because a lot of realtors will will calculate their salary if you will at the end of the year under using irs guidelines and you know so uh, my suggestion would be if you're an independent contractor, you probably, if you don't have a CPA and you want the PPP or EIDL, this is the year to pay a CPA to figure out what is the best way to pay yourself, right? In terms of how much do you pay yourself as a salary? Because that'll impact how much you get from say like a PPP or EIDL loan. For people who haven't used a CPA, what would a service like that cost? I'm sure it depends on how complicated their business is, but on average. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could probably even get away with it, with um, even bookkeeping level, but but I mean, most CPAs are going to be probably give or take about 500 bucks. Okay. You know, and so if you're only going to get a PPP loan of a thousand, you know, I don't know if it's worth it, but you know, um, here's the interesting part about the PPP loan too, with an independent contractor and any employee, there's a cap on, on the calculation. And so no employee, let's say you had an employee that made a pay, a, a salary of $250,000. You can only use $100,000 of that. So if you were self-employed and, and paid payroll tax on $150,000, you still get to apply for $100,000 worth of, of payroll, you know, which 
which divide that by 12 and multiply it by two and a half. Yeah. So it's 20-ish grand, you know, it, it's meaningful. For the EIDL loan, would independent contractors be able to use their 1099 or would they still need to go off of like a profit and loss? It's, it's all payroll based, okay. you know, so it's, it's what, what number did you use to pay tax to the government? So your 1099 is, is useful because it shows it, it would be more useful for the EIDL loan because it's kind of like a gross commission. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the PPP loan is, is it truly based on what did you pay tax on? Yeah. So um, you talked about the PPP being forgiven is there what's the process for that it's not automatic correct it, it's not no so the process is basically once you and again you know this is still a little bit of a moving target so they were way more focused on funding than they were on the forgiveness mm -hmm. so we're you know that's evolving but what what the the rule is right now is once you receive that money if you use 75% of it over the next eight weeks after you receive it on payroll, so 75% on payroll, the loan will be forgiven. The other 25% can be used on rent, debt service, uh, you know, general operating expenses. Um, and that, that is true for uh, independent contractors as well. Although, it, with businesses, there's much more of a focus on rent and debt than in utilities, um, which a lot of independent contractors are not going to have, right? So, so the other 25% for independent contractors is, has been kind of more of like a general expense. You know, it, it needs to be related to your business. I mean, I, I, but, um, you know, so long and subscriptions or... Yeah, I mean, if it's something if it's something that you would report as business related on your tax return, it, it, it it's probably going to qualify under that twenty five percent. But the key is, you know, you've got to show that 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 seventy five percent. I can tell you that a lot of my clients, even you know, the law firm received a PPP loan, and we opened up a, a whole brand new bank account for it. Uh, and change the payroll company to that bank account. And because uh, otherwise, if it went into general operating, you know, at least we have a lot of different stuff coming and going. And, and so think about this on the back end, you have to show that this X amount of money was paid directly to these allowable expenses, payroll, whatever else. And, 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 and you have to apply for it. So at least our thinking was, and, and our bank suggested it as well, if the money goes into a brand new clean account and, and only those allowable expenses, payroll, rent, whatever comes out of it, it's a super clean application to have it forgiven. You know, and again, think about how many people are applying for it. You're gonna have that many people applying to be forgiven. Uh, so, you know, the cleaner you can make it the better. And, and I think, I, I, I personally think opening up a brand new bank account for it makes it just very easy to submit a, a forgiveness application. 
Yeah, it's almost like a landlord having an escrow account for security deposits and not commingling funds. As a realtor, I can appreciate the need to have a clean process because you know one of our duties is accounting for all funds. And if right. we've got a ton of you know money from all different places going into one place, it can get very messy and hard to track. It's not that you have to do it, but I mean, think about this, you're applying basically to the government to be forgiven money. And, you know, so, so the cleaner you can make it, the, the easier your life's going to be. Yeah. Outstanding. Um, one last question. Is it true the $10,000 advance for the EIDL is capped at 1000 per employee? That is true. And again, it's a great example of the rules change like daily for this stuff, right? So it started at 10 grand, everybody gets it. And then the reason is they ran out of money, you know? And so the EIDL, PPP got all the attention. EIDL is kind of like the redheaded stepchild. So uh, they're, it, it's now starting to get some love from Congress, but um, uh, it's a great example. Yes, so a thousand per employee, and it, it's a great example of of rules change daily in this stuff. And that one's been around for a long time, right? It stands for Economic Injury Disaster Loan, and you apply for that directly with SBA. That's correct. So you go to the SBA's website, and what? Now I'll say this: with the that up to ten thousand dollar forgiveness part. They just came out with new guidelines that said, well, it's forgiven, but we have to think about if you got both that and the PPP, are we going to forgive both? And the, the, the logic that seems to be coming out now is, is that if you got the PPP and that was forgiven, you very well might have to pay back the grant with the EIDL. And so... Uh, again, that could change, who knows, you know, the, what's, what's kind of wild about that is that the, the grant was just given, there's not even terms, you know, you didn't sign a note, you know, and so uh, it, it, it's just an amazing example of uh, making rules on the fly. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how all of this unfolds on the back end and what happens and how processes change moving forward. Right, now one other thing on that grant is that it, it, it's, it had kind of the same forgiveness criterion as the PPP, like use it for payroll, use it for business related, you know, whether you're an, a, a human or a business, um, it did have kind of like a forgiveness criterion um, it's, it's pretty generic. It's more generic than the PPP, but it, it, it was kind of in the same light of use it for operating kind of deal. Um, now the EIDL though is, is expanded to where you can use it to service existing debt. Uh, and the PPP was not designed for that. Interesting. And, um, if people have, questions or would like to reach out to you for your services, what is the best way to contact you? Sure. Thank you. Um, our, my, my email at the office is, is C, season cat, boy, O-S-S 
at bosslegal.com. And our office phone number is 727-471-0039. The website is bosslegal.com. And we've done a ton of stuff uh, just to try to help our our clients and consumers uh, on all the programs from uh, lists of even like the individual credit cards, mortgages, uh, student loans, you know, we've, any program that we could find that was being sort of advertised, we, we cut and pasted it onto the website to try to create a, a, a one-stop shop for folks to, to find it. But, uh, so the, the website is, is hopefully helping people as well. Great. And we'll definitely be sure to put that information in the show notes. I know you've been very generous with your time, not just with me in this episode, but with Rachel and on newscasts and all over the place to get this information into the right hands. So really appreciate your efforts and applaud your contributions to the community. I'm, I'm happy to help. And I've, I've I really appreciate, Nicole, that you you had me on the show today. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you, and have a great week. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to future episodes. And... If you have a show topic that you'd like to share with me or have a real estate related question that you'd like to ask, I'd love to hear it. You can call or text me at 719-201-5022 or you can reach me via email at nicole at sellingstpetefl.com. That's N-I-C- O-L-E at S-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-P-E-T-E-F-L dot com.